Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Give it a try today. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget, to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Hello, my friends. I just wanted to let you know what happened at the beginning here. I didn't quite have the mic set up right, so the introduction where I say things like, Hey, welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is your host, Rick Lee James. Didn't get in there. So just to set up the context a little bit, uh, this is uh, my third podcast with my guest, Dr. Walter Brueggemann, and I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. We're going to be talking a lot about imprecatory psalms and how we should pray, and is it possible to pray those types of prayers, uh, those wrathful parts of the Bible, and actually be loving our enemies in the process and being faithful. So here's my conversation, uh, recorded on August 22nd, 2017, with Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Okay, now we're going with that one. Sorry. Good. <laughs> um, I think I have the other recorder going because it's going to pick it up over there. I forgot to turn the mic on, so <laughs> let's... <laughs> oh, well, we'll get it. Um, well, it's good to be back with you, and I always enjoy having conversations with you, and, and we had a good time talking at lunch today, and, and uh, or maybe it was brunch, whatever it was. There was, <laughs> there was no breakfast food, really, so I guess it was actually lunch right. that works that way. Yeah. Um, but it's always good to catch up a little bit and hear what's going on in your life. Um, my purpose in coming here today is uh, this last couple weeks, especially in our country, um, it's been a tough one. And depending on when a listener is listening to this podcast, um, many people listen right away. Some people listen weeks down the road. We are in the aftermath of the Charlottesville uh, riots, I guess they will say. Not really a riot, but it was a lot of protesting that was going on there. And the country has sort of been, I mean, we've, we've sort of been divided anyway <laughs> for quite a while. Um, but it's been a, a really rough last couple weeks yeah. in many ways. And one reason I wanted to get together with you, uh, aside from just the podcast, is I find you to be a very hopeful voice. And I find that I need some encouragement, and I <laughs> I need to hear uh, sometimes from other people who I respect and admire that God is still in control, you know, that, yeah. that He is the one who ultimately is the true authority in all these things. Um, and so I thought maybe we could, could start today, uh, and you would know a lot more about this than me, for sure. But there's this thing called the imprecatory psalms. And the imprecatory psalms, they're not pretty. I mean, they certainly, as you know, um, when it has phrases like, you know, break the teeth in their mouth, Lord, you know, (laughs) things like that. 
they seem very cruel, but I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about first just what the imprecatory psalms yeah. really are and and kind of why they are in our yeah. our our psalm book. Yeah. I would say the book of well, psalms. The, uh, the uh, imprecatory uh, psalms, as you know, are a part of the lament or complaint psalms, uh, in which the speaker. Uh, details for God the sorry situation we're in and uh, then as one element of that kind of prayer uh, makes some powerful suggestions to God uh, about what ought to be done to the terrible people that are causing me all these problems. Right. Uh, uh, in the Episcopal Church where I now worship, the uh, prayer uh, that we pray every Sunday to open the service says that God is the one from whom no secret can be hid. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think that is an invitation, uh, assuming that's true, it is an invitation for us to lay it all out before God so that if we have uh, impulses toward uh, anger or hate or vengeance, we already have them, and God knows that. Mm -hmm. So best to speak them out. And I think that uh, long before um, psychotherapy and all of that uh, therapeutic processing that we now know is useful to do, the uh, imprecatory psalms function that way mm. to get this uh, ugly, destructive stuff out in the open. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think that at its best, those prayers mean to hand over those impulses of anger and hate over to God. Or as I like to say, uh, they put them on God's desk mm -hmm. and let God deal with them. Uh, and what I think we know psychologically is that if we do not do that, then that stuff works on our gut. Mm. And uh, eventually, if we don't yield them to God... Uh, we will act them out. We will act them out either in um, destructive ways towards someone else or we will keep them internally and they will work negatively on us in our internal life and, and our faith and our being. Mm -hmm. So the alternative to keeping this stuff in, in that, will, that will be destructive is to let it out toward God on the assumption that God uh, is a generous recipient of everything that we've got going on with us. And I think that uh, the use of the imprecatory psalms is so important because so much of the prayer life of the church has been excessively pious hmm. and therefore dishonest and therefore engaged in denial. Hmm. And uh, I suspect God is not fooled by that, uh, <laughs> but we fool ourselves, I think. Yeah. So uh, I, th I think that the recovery of this stuff in the Psalter uh, is really uh, very important for us. Yeah. Well, it's, it's there for a reason, I think. You know, when, when they canonized Scripture, they could have just left that part out. That's right. <laughs> and they didn't. And, and right. in the Reformation, some stuff did get left out for sure, but I think Martin Luther cherished his imprecatories too much, you know. <laughs> I think he, he was good after him, I he, think. He was a pretty wrathful guy, I think. <laughs> but, but you're on to something here. I, I've, I'd love to talk about this because 
I, I think you probably have, have been as, uh, as upset and discouraged as I have at many times, um, you know, at the current administration and things that have happened. Um, and and there, I'm always told, you know, well, you need to pray for those in authority. And sometimes I just pray those imprecatory psalms for them, yes, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and I don't mean that in a way that I actually necessarily even want that to happen to them. But it's like you said, um, there are there must be a way for us to get those things out in healthy and constructive ways. Yep. Um, it's always amazing to me, and maybe this is just because maybe it's a Protestant problem. I'm not sure, but we seem to be so um, disconnected from the Psalms as the hymn book of the church, you know, right. because they originally were what was sung, and even in the Christian tradition. For many, many years, until relatively recently in our history, a lot of churches, that was all they sang. They came and sang the Psalms on Sunday morning. So it's interesting to me, um, as we're trying to to recover, and I as somebody who leads music in churches and am very interested in the, the life of what goes on in the church with music... I don't have any songs like that that we sing, no. <laughs> you know, on Sunday. We don't. Morning. We don't have any in our hymnals at all. No. The, the and my experience in, in most of the church is we don't use those psalms. We just skip over them, or if we use the psalm, we leave out the worst verses. Right. And uh, I, I uh, was some time ago uh, worshiping with some nuns, and even the nuns left out those terrible verses in 109 yeah. that are probably the most vigorous in the in the whole of the book of Psalms. Yeah, so, I, and I meant yeah. to grab my Bible so I could open it up. I was going to read some of 109. But, well, oh yeah, there's a whole yeah. bunch of them. Yeah. Well, tell you what, um, say something brilliant. I'm going to grab a Bible. I'll be right back. I'm going to lay my microphone down. So well, can... I, I, I really do think that what we by, by uh, leaving out these psalms in the life of the church, what we do is communicate to people that you shouldn't feel that stuff. And right. if you feel that stuff, please feel it somewhere else, right. but not here because we're all nice people. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Well, okay, I have a Bible now in front of me. I'm so glad that we are sitting in a... I thought it was a library, but it's a parlor. <laughs> like you told me. Um, and so let me give an example of that, because uh, I, I think our listeners might need to hear it, because I think we don't know what to do with these psalms sometimes. Yeah. And I want to also, as, as I read this, um, I, I always have to remind myself, too, prayer is a function that is supposed to form me. Yep. You know, I am yep. supposed to be formed by God in these times. My prayer is, even though I pray for God to do something, that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to form God <laughs> or to make no. Him do these things. No. Um, oftentimes, it's God's way of helping to shape me. So I can realize that even though I pray these things, um, God's answer may very well be no, or I have something else in mind. Right. But you still need to get this out. So let, let me just give a, a little bit. I won't read the whole Psalm 109, but since I have it here in front of me. Um, and I, I had said to some friends the other day, I think I even put it on Twitter. I, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying this verse today for the president, you know. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't like write it out. I just said that. <laughs> so if anybody looked it up, they may have been, what? But it said, uh, they say, put some rascal to denounce him, an accuser to stand at his right side. But when the judgment is given, that rascal will, will be exposed and his follies accounted a sin. May his days be few. May his hoarded wealth fall to another. May his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. 
May his children be vagabonds and beggars driven from their homes. May the moneylender distrain on all his goods and strangers seize his earnings. May none remain loyal to him and none have mercy on his fatherless children. May his line be doomed to extinction. May their name be wiped out within a generation. May the sins of his forefathers be remembered and his mother's wickedness never be wiped out. And, and it goes on for a while with a few more curses <laughs> along the way. Right. But I have said before, and, and as I've studied the Psalms, um, it, it helps me to pray that way so that I don't act out on it. That's correct. Yeah. Because, because I feel like God's answer to me is... But I say to you, love your enemies. That's right. Pray yes. for those who persecute yep. you. Yep. And I think it's all part of the same process. Right. I don't think it means we have to do away with our anger. I also don't think it means we have to pray for like good blessings and good things upon those people. Um, <laughs> right. But maybe that is part of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the main thing is that God would shape us and form us yep. um, through those scripture times. Yep. And if we hold these feelings inside... I'm thinking it anyway, like you said. <laughs> um, it's it's healthful for us to get those out, but I feel like there's almost a danger too, you know. In in some ways of uh, when I pray these things again, I say I pray them so that I don't enact them, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I pray them so I don't have to say it out yeah. loud sometimes. Yeah. Um, but in our our age of of hate language and things like that, and yeah. we just talked about. Um, you know, things like neo-Nazis who are very hateful in their language or the KKK or different ones like that. My question is, in using a source like these, and if we have language that sometimes sounds like this towards other people, yeah. um, what's the distinction in your mind between our language and between hate speech like the other side? Well, I think if we if we were going to use these kind of prayers in the life of a congregation, we have to do a good bit of teaching about the structure and intention of the Psalms and how the imprecatory uh, petitions are framed in the life of the Psalms so that you can't just take them out of context and all of that. Right. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, the difference between hate speech and this stuff, it is hate speech, but it is hate speech addressed to God with a readiness to leave it in God's hands. Hmm. The analog that I use for that sometimes is if you imagine in a, in a family two small children are engaged in civil war with each other mm-hmm. and uh, the mother or the father separates them and tries to decide who's at fault and who to discipline and all of that. And then one of the kids will say to the other one, I want you to send him to bed without his supper, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. Now, a good parent doesn't do two things. A good parent doesn't say, you can't talk that way, because he needs to talk that way. But a good parent also doesn't say, oh, let me write this down so that I can do exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. What a good parent says is, I hear you, now you leave that to me, and I will decide what is best for both of you. Mm. And, and I think that's the, that's the analog uh, that I think is useful. There is, a, there is a trick in that psalm, and I don't know what translation you have, but if you look at verse 5, which begins this awful stuff, mm-hmm. in, in that translation, is there, does it begin by saying, they say... Uh, let's see, in verse 5, they have repaid me evil for good. No, they don't. If you look at many translations... 
I think it's verse 5 where the awful stuff begins. Mm -hmm. Many translations have inserted the words, they say, so that the words are transferred from me to the enemy as though the enemy were saying it. Because a nice guy like me wouldn't say this, and there is no manuscript evidence for they say. Wow. So it is a translator's device for protecting pious people mm. and saying that the wicked who are being uh, uh, assaulted here are really the ones who talk that way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's another... Uh, it's another little maneuver of denial yeah. that nice people like us really don't talk that way. We can't talk that way. That's no. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, while we're on the, the same subject, and, and um, that was from Psalm 109, and I wonder if you, I, I know I'm asking you this off the top of your head to do this, but I wanted to look over at Psalm 137 too. And Psalm 137 is... Um, you know the passage by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down and we wept uh, do you remember enough off the top of your head to give us a little bit of, of context for that psalm I do because I've been working on that psalm oh great that, that's, that's a psalm uh, that said, is said by, by the rivers of Babylon so it is, it is the elite Jews who were carried away by Babylon into exile and they're in Babylon, and they are engaging in huge nostalgia for good old Jerusalem that they remember. Hmm. And uh, uh, as you move through the psalm, uh, there is a resolve that I am never going to forget Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the great treasure of my life, and I want to be in Jerusalem, blah, 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 blah. And then at the, at the last verses, the psalm notoriously turns to violence hmm. and asks God to... Uh, destroy the Edomites and it's a wish for crushing Babylonian babies and I mm. I just uh, came uh, Rick to a new insight about this psalm and what, what I think it is an act of nostalgia mm. for a Jerusalem that never existed really so I I I think they over remember mm. and when you over remember, you have huge anger toward people whom you think took it away from you. Hmm. So when you over-remember Jerusalem, uh, you are ready to verbalize violence against the Babylonians who have taken Jerusalem from you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, if you translate that into contemporary life, mm -hmm. I think the nostalgia for a pristine white America that never existed, right. but we remember it that way, turns to violence toward the people whom we think have taken that wonderful white America away from us. So that all these mantras about take back our country and make America great again are all acts of nostalgia mm -hmm. to recover a world that never existed hmm. that then invites violence toward... Well, who would you say has taken it from us? Toward gays, toward immigrants, toward Muslims, mm -hmm. toward everybody that doesn't fit in a pure white society. Yeah. So I, I think the, the uh, Psalm 137 is a marvelous script yeah. for our understanding what, how destructive uh, nostalgia has become for us 
And I think that uh, all those uh, Klansmen and neo-Nazis who marched marched in Charlottesville, uh, they they are over remembering an America that never existed, and and they are ready for violence against all those that they perceive uh, detracting from. Yeah, they perceive them as a threat, and it's sort of uh, and to some extent, you know, I think we get real nostalgic, and I like the show as much as anybody, Andy Griffith. Yes. So we have this we have this Mayberry mindset. That's right. That's right. And there's almost this sense in which, you know, we once that was real at one time. Yeah. And we don't fully remember and I, and I wasn't around when it originally aired, so I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty certain even that was kind of a nostalgia, you That's know, right. for that if you went to into any town in America at that time, you wouldn't exactly find Mayberry, That's you know. Right. That's right. Well, I grew up in a town like Mayberry or it was smaller than Mayberry. Uh-huh. And uh you know what we what we did is to uh, confine all the black people in one little section, hmm. and they lived in poor houses and had poor jobs. And but you never noticed that. In you didn't see that on the show, did that's you? Right. That's right. Yeah. And and that's another part of the conversation too. Of because of our white privilege, we we just choose not to see the other side. That's of correct. That has that's exactly that. right. Um, and if you if, about Psalm one thirty seven, yeah. If you look at the at the critiques of Jerusalem, of the great prophets of Israel, uh, Jerusalem was a quite unjust city, mm. according to Amos or, sure. or Jeremiah or any of those. And obviously, the people that are remembering it uh, didn't notice those injustices. Remembering how great it was. That's right. And and it's interesting too because I think part of the context for this Psalm two is, as far as I know. They they were in exile, and so they did have a great deal taken from them. It wasn't like it was all easy street either. That's correct. That's but, right. But to remember it not fully in the way that it once was, like you say, the prophets were calling them out for their wickedness. And maybe I should just read a little bit of it okay. as we're talking about it. Good. Uh, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the willow trees we hung up our harps. For there those who carried us off demanded music and singing, and our captors called on us to be merry. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither away. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the people of Edom, the day of Jerusalem's fall, when they said, Down with it, down with it, down to its very foundations. O Babylon, Babylon, the destroyer, happy the man who repays you for all that you did to us. Happy is he who shall seize your children and dash them on the rock. Or some translations, seize your babies That's right. and dash them on the rock. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and as the, the songwriter, you know, sitting here talking about it too, I do find it interesting that the captors are saying, sing your songs, yes, you know, yes. do a dance for us or yep, yep. <laughs> do whatever. And I wonder, um, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to this of Jerusalem for them, maybe in some of their nostalgia, thinking that maybe the temple in Jerusalem was the place that God dwells. And we don't have that now. So what does that say about our faith? I can't sing the songs anymore. The walls are down, you know. Yes. Um, and and what does that mean uh, if you take that perspective 
on it too. Can you just speak a little bit about that too? Well, I, I think that uh, the the uh, if if we take that statement at face value, that what the what the Babylonians were doing were taunting the Jews. I've I've read that the the uh, Nazis did that to Jews in the death camps, in mm. which they made them sing Jewish songs, right. and, and then I suppose either verbally or implied. They would say, "How's that working out for you now? Mm-hmm. Not so good, is it? Huh? Yeah. Say it again for us." Uh, and and I think uh, that that would that would if that's true, that would even feed the nostalgia greater yeah. and evoke a, a greater thirst for violence against yeah. people who were abusing them and so on. Yeah. What I've done recently, Rick, is to juxtapose Psalm 137. Uh, with uh, the oracle in Isaiah 42 Hmm. where the prophet uh, says uh, uh, behold I am doing a new thing do not remember former things Hmm. and uh, I think it's about 42.10 or something like that The, the former thing that he's asking them the Jews in exile to forget is the exodus event of all things don't mm. talk about the old exodus, wow. but notice the new exodus of emancipation that I am doing for you now. Mm. So if you if you take Isaiah 42 and uh, Psalm 137 together, I think that 137 that that's a backward look, and and what Isaiah is asking them to do is to turn their life around, quit looking back. And start looking at the future in which God will be doing a new thing. And then he says to them, do you not perceive it? Can't you see what I'm doing? And the reason they cannot see what he's doing is that they are locked in on nostalgia. Hmm. So the more we are fixed on the way it used to be, the less we are receptive for the newness that God is working among us. That's what I think. Well, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm seeing it here around verse 9. Uh, see how the first prophecies have come to pass. And now I declare new things. Before they break from the bud, I announce them to you. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing His praise throughout the earth. You that sail the sea and all sea creatures and you inhabit the coasts and the islands, let the wilderness and its towns rejoice. And the villages and the tribe of Kedar... Um, it's it's interesting too calling people to rejoice at a time where they don't feel very joyful. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I had not thought till you read it that way that that the new song, whatever that's supposed to be, mm-hmm. replaces the old songs of Zion. Mm. That's astonishing. Yeah. 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 It's which powerful. which opens the door for music writers like you to do the new song. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times we just recraft the old ones, but right, you know, <laughs> right, right, yeah, and there's right. something to be said for that too. But yeah, yeah. no, this is this is good. I think it's it's helpful for us. There have been times, and again, I'm going to go back to to personally uh, in my life where I've just felt like I've had no other recourse except to pray those particular psalms. Yeah, yeah. And I'm finding that more lately. I think for a brief period in the last couple of years. Um, I've been asking questions and, and and saying, well, I don't think Jesus would pray this psalm, so maybe I shouldn't either. Yeah. And yet what I'm finding to be, I think, a healthier path is, while I don't think Jesus would necessarily condone it, and I don't think that we see Jesus enacting those things, I think that these are still the psalms Jesus 
prayed. You know, I mean, this this was his song. That's right. That's right. And and again, it's it's allowing God to be God, and for us to just carry those things to us that we're feeling anyway. Uh, it's okay to admit that we're having a bad day. <laughs> it's right. okay That's to right. admit to God, yeah. Yeah. I'm just frustrated. I don't know what to say about That's this right. situation. Um, I mean, there's been times that I've just, uncharacteristically of me, I think, even because I don't feel like I'm an angry person, <laughs> there have been things over this past, you know, since the election that I'm just like spitting mad about That's things. Right. I just That's can't right. believe yeah. the, the depth of uh, I, just whatever. I could go on and on, but I won't today. Um, but, I, but I do want to bring that around a little bit because uh, we've been talking about the nostalgia factor. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting. And I, I tried to make a, two, a few notes, and they're, they're too long. But Christianity Today had an article not too long ago. And it, it wasn't so much about like President Trump, but more it was about what it says about us as a, as a nation and as people who – many of us you know, who are Christians who seem to be supporting that. Um, and, and they made some interesting observations, and I'm going to try to, to pare them down just a little bit uh, in what I read, but uh, I'm, I'm concerned about what it says about us as Christians, as white Christian evangelicals, especially in this nation. Um, I'm concerned because I've been asking this question a lot lately. If a person was to worship in my congregation for 25 years, what did that, was that person look like, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I multiply that by a nation of Christians, many of whom have been going to church, you know, for 50, 60 years, often in the same context. Right. And if in mass, in white evangelicalism, what we have seen to be the way of Christ is the way of Donald Trump, it scares me about what that has meant for what we have done for discipleship. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and I'm not saying Hillary would have been any better. I, I'm not. I mean, on some level, I think she would have been better, but I I still don't think she's the. I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's not a pro-Hillary statement. It's a pro-Jesus statement, and right. <laughs> that That's we've right. become so wrapped up in American evangelicalism and in nationalism tied together that we can't see how separate they really are supposed to be that's right i guess so a couple quick quick observations here that that christianity today made about this and and i'll just maybe if you don't mind you can just add some comments if anything comes to mind um he said that his candidacy has revealed the inner secularization of significant portions of the evangelical movement um, and, and he wants to focus on four theological words to highlight the problem. The writer of this article, um, who I unfortunately didn't write down. I'll have to look that up and, and reference it later. But creation was the first word. So Trump reveals that many evangelicals have come to embrace a new doctrine of creation, according to which the state accords basic rights instead of recognizing their dignity as fellow image bearers of God. Uh, you have any comment about that? I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. Well, I, I, I think that uh, when you take the wonder and majesty of creation and try to box it in to an ideological loyalty, mm-hmm. you obviously have lost all of the primary claims of creation. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the wonder of, of creation means uh, that God's generous goodness in, in sustaining the world cannot become the property 
uh, of any uh, partisan claim of nation state or church or tribe or anything like that and I think uh, some forms of evangelicalism have done that as though we sort of uh, are able to capture the truth of it uh, and and have it our way which it seems to me uh, is a is a a terribly awkward misconstrual mm. of the mystery uh, that is contained in our confession that God is the creator. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Uh, the second word I'll have you comment on, sin. Uh, Trump reveals that many evangelicals have come to embrace a different idea of sin than evangelicals have in the past. Uh, first, sin is now seen uh, less a condition that renders us miserable offenders before a holy God than mistakes good people make that fail to contribute to our best life now. Uh, Card-carrying evangelicals should have gotten it when Trump announced that he has never asked God for forgiveness because he doesn't really do anything that would require it. That's right. Um, this is problematic from a Christian perspective on several levels. I, I wonder if you'd like to... Uh, well, to it is the... It is the, the matter to which the church is always tempted, and that is to, to turn sin into a question of morality rather than to see that it is an elemental relational alienation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would call that sin light. Sin and light. If you get sin light, then all you need is grace light. <laughs> and, and grace is not serious because sin is not serious. Yeah. So obviously... Uh, Trump is uh, among those or representative of those who who do not understand uh, uh, according to evangelical faith how deep is our alienation from God mm. and that, that even our uh, best virtues are uh, distorted in ways that require the goodness and graciousness of God. Right. And I can, I can, the thing that, that's so puzzling to me about all this, because I was in high school when, uh, when Bill Clinton was, was president. Yeah. And, um, of course, we all know the scandal with Monica Lewinsky and everything yeah. like that. And I think rightly so, the church was outraged, you know, yeah. Yeah. by it. Um, my, my question now as I talk about this is, why isn't the church outraged about some of these things that, Many times, or even worse, you yeah. know. Or um, and so it's it's one of those things. It's it's like we've come to a redefining of sin. Yeah, you know. Well, um, I think that very many people hear Trump legitimating our fears. Hmm. Uh, he is an embodiment of our fears. He's a, he's a very frightened man, and he echoes our fears back to us. And as long as he does that honestly. We will forgive him much else, mm. uh, and uh, I think uh, his his uh, functioning that way is very different from the way Bill Clinton yeah. uh, positioned himself uh, in the public domain. Mm. Uh, and I think with with uh, Clinton, uh, it's very it was very easy to be indignant about sex, right? Whereas uh, Trump's affronts are. Uh, more manifold and more diffuse mm. and more various mm. so it's not as easy to focus I think right yeah very interesting uh, two more words from this article that I'm going <laughs> to come and bring us around to and then I just have a couple comments from listeners that wanted me yeah. to share some things uh, the third word is Christ 
very important one to us. Obviously, Christians. Jesus has become a brand and cultural political mascot. The term evangelical used to mean that the global community of those from every tribe, tongue, and nation, according to Revelation 5.9, were united by one Lord, one faith, one baptism through faith in Christ alone as the all-sufficient Savior from the condemnation and death that our sins deserve. Our ultimate demographic is in Christ. This trumps, no pun intended, our identity (laughs) as Americans or as Democrats or Republicans. But Trump reminds us that many who call themselves evangelicals today find their ultimate loyalty in preserving or regaining a lost socio-political and cultural, perhaps even racial, hegemony in an increasingly diverse society. By his gospel, Christ speaks to our deepest need to be united to him and to each other in his body. Um, well, so. I think this is, a, this is another uh, example of uh, the great claims of gospel faith being captured by ideology and reduced to manageable proportion. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, the, the uh, attachment of Christ claims to national claims is a taproot ideology mm. among us so that uh, many liberal pastors tell me that they can critique the Bible. Uh, what they can't critique is uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, with American capitalism and all mm. of that. So uh, that particular sin of evangelicals uh, is shared by uh, progressive Christians as well mm. uh, in, in which uh, our... Um, Racial privilege has caused us to redefine all of the categories in terms of Americanism. Yeah, and it is it is an obscenity. Yeah, it's it's highly troubling to yep. me for sure. Yep. Uh, well, one more word: leadership. And this is again from this Christianity Today article. Um, Trump reveals that godly godly leadership is apparently for some evangelicals the celebration of narcissism, greed, and deceitfulness in the pursuit of power. They like Trump's strong leadership and ability to get things done. They seem to value pragmatism over anything else. Um, So how does that line up with Jesus? (laughs) Not well. Not well, does it? (laughs) Uh, No, Jesus... It seems to me Jesus led from his vulnerability. Yeah. And uh, uh, Trump models uh, leadership that has no vulnerability. We're talking here uh, the, the morning after Trump gave his Afghanistan war speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's a perfect example of uh, huge posturing of virility mm-hmm. and victory and, and all that crap that has no contact with reality. Uh, and I think that people, many people are snookered by that uh, presentation, uh, even though there's nothing behind it that would legitimate it. Right. Uh, so if you think about uh, Christ's conflict with the Roman Empire, uh, that mode of leadership is an echo of uh, the Roman emperors yeah. uh, who were all-powerful and all-everything. Yeah. And it seems to me that our evangelical confession is that in the mystery of Friday and Sunday, uh, Jesus has defeated the imperial powers. Yeah. Uh, so we don't have any business uh, signing on for those models. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've, I've thought about this recently, too. It seems like, and, and maybe we've always done this to an extent, but with, as I look back in church history at Constantine, and, you know, his, I'm going to use air quotes, his conversion, <laughs> you know, yes. as I call it, when when the emperor, because from what I understand, you know, he used the cross in battle as a symbol, and That's he right. had victory in battle, and hey, I think I should be a Christian, and, you know, it becomes, the, I mean, that's simplification, obviously, but there's a sense in which the church lost a lot of its prophetic voice Indeed. when it joined itself with Constantine and yep. the empire, whereas before it had been very much um, a completely different kingdom unto itself. That's right. And it lost much of its power and much of its prophetic voice. And what I keep finding frustrating again and again, it's not so much even Trump, because I don't expect the empire to be anything except the empire. Right. I always expect the secular realm to be the secular realm. Right. What's so troubling to me is how much it has infected the church. Yeah. And that's what I really... Yeah. I guess what I'm going for is that the church would be the church, and and as Stanley Hauerwas says, allow the world to be the world yeah. and the church to be the church in the midst of it. And right now, the line is very blurry, sure. you know, and it's hard to see at times. Yeah, and, and I think we, we've been on that track, as you suggest, since Constantine, and in fact, uh, the Reformation teachers did not interrupt that at all. No. They continued to think and operate in those patterns yeah well it's a lot easier to not be the persecuted people on that's the run correct. you know i mean it's uh, <laughs> watch to be that's right uh I, I forget which theologian it said that it was looking over rome and at, at one time and the and the phrase was uh the the king had looked and said no longer can we say silver or gold i do not have and the christian that was standing next to him says neither can we say rise and walk that's correct and i right. uh, wish i could remember who said that but yeah, uh, it's, it's exactly a good quote right so that our huge power uh, in gospel terms makes us impotent. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, well, just a couple comments and, and kind of a couple questions, really, and, and you can answer them as well as you can. They were sort of last-minute things. That one of them even just came in this morning, and I didn't have hardly a chance to process it myself. Yeah. Um, but one of them, uh, Rodney Brown writes in, and he said, to ask you to elaborate on old verses... Old versus new forgiveness. That's what he says. Um, I think a great question is how we are to forgive as we are forgiven. Uh, the old ways, let's see, the old had ways to reconciliation that the new does not. In the midst of hate, do we reconcile where a person is at or whether the historical context has pushed us forward to just forgive and forget? It seems Jesus is not enough to just forgive and forget. Um, so anyway, I he's got some more that he goes on with the question, but I wonder if you could could speak into that into old versus new forgiveness. Well, I don't, I don't know what he might mean by that. Uh, Bishop Tutu has written a very important book on forgiveness, uh, and uh, I think that Tutu's work on the Commission on Truth and Reconciliation sort of discovered uh, that the forgiveness that forgiveness is not an abrupt one-time deal but it is a long-term process of taking seriously someone else's narrative mm. uh, so when you told me at lunch about 
uh, offered to meet with this guy who was objecting to some things you had said, mm-hmm. you were taking the right path. Let's talk. Let's find out about this. Let's see how we each have become whom we have become. Mm. And uh, I think that requires more of an investment in the life of another than most of us want to undertake. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, All right, and then um, here's a person that this morning um, said his name is Troy. He says, I'm coming out of a Sovereign Grace Historical Baptist or Primitive Baptist tradition. And, uh, and again, this may be a hard one to answer off the cuff, so I'll, I'll just read it and we'll see where we go. All right. uh, what are some of the Bible verses, if any, that support a universal redemption, um, meaning Christ eventually redeeming all human beings unto himself? Um, he says, also, what do I do with the verses I was taught that support a concept of a place for eternal damnation and punishment? Or verses labeling some as children of wrath. So that's kind of a big question with no it preparation. It is a big question, and, and I don't think I can answer it that way. What, what we have to see is that the Bible uh, contains a spectrum of responses on any given question. So it doesn't do any good to quote Bible verses right. to each other. Uh, but if we're going to center on Bible verses... Uh, then we must not take them as flat absolutes, but we have to find out uh, where did these verses come from, uh, how, how can we contextualize them, and how can we correct them by other verses that say otherwise. What we have to recognize is the Bible uh, speaks with many voices, and when we are... When any one of us is drawn to text A rather than text B, then we have to ask, why is that so for us? Why do we like this verse, or why do we find this verse more compelling than this verse? And when we begin to to think that way, what we've got to do is to go back in our own personal history and discover the things that are operative that cause us to uh, embrace certain dimensions of revelation uh, to the dismissal of other dimensions of revelation to recognize that the whole matter is very complex and is not simply a matter of lining up texts Hmm. uh, to oppose each other Uh, it it really doesn't work and we need to we need to quit using bible verses as they were clubs to beat up on other people with Uh, what we have to do is to try to entertain those biblical texts that we like the least Hmm. and see why somebody thought it was important to include it in the Bible. Which brings us full circle back to those imprecatory songs. It does, doesn't it? That's right. Brilliant, the way you just did that for us today. Now, I... I think you're, you're very right. We're not very good at looking at the Bible as a whole. We're yep. very good at taking a verse here and a That's verse right. there. And, and we don't realize that the Bible is often arguing with itself. That's right. You know, my my uh, phrase for that is that we are all we are all selective fundamentalists. Yes. We've all selected verses that we regard as absolutely true uh, at the expense of all other verses. And we have to get with other selective fundamentalists who have selected other verses and have a long-term conversation about what's going on between us. Yeah, 
It's true. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking some time today. This has been exactly what I needed. Um, and I'm just going to close with one last question today. And hopefully I won't have to think too hard about it. But you've been, you've been around and you've been doing this for a while. You know, you, you, if anybody's thought about theology, it's you. And if anybody's thought about the world, it's you and God. And um, I just wonder these days, what is bringing you the most hope? Well, I, I think uh, I am, uh, I, I think I am in a mood of back to basics. Hmm. Uh, I think uh, much of the uh, constructed scaffolding that liberals and evangelicals have got about the faith is shown to be a fraud and we are back to the most elemental claims about the godness of God that we know in Jesus of Nazareth hmm. and uh, I think that uh, the ground of hope uh, is found in the confession that he was crucified and raised on the third day and that uh, God will out in ways that we do not understand. Hmm. Now having said that, I, I think there are uh, concrete visible signs here and there of people who are committing uh, society changing acts. Uh, and I think we need to hold on to those desperately. Uh, but eventually we are driven behind those concrete, visible acts uh, to the confession about Jesus of Nazareth. That's mm. what I think. Well, that's, as the hymn writer says, my hope is built on nothing less that's right. <laughs> than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Or uh, Calvin's great hymn, uh, our hope is in none other save in thee alone. Mm. Yeah. Exactly true. Well, I don't think we can top Jesus today. I think that's, that's right. A, that's a good way for us to probably end our conversation. That's right. Yeah. Well, Dr. Walter Brueggemann, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thank you. Good to talk. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com. Follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames. Like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames. And keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website. And if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.